It's TechBiter Worldwide with Bill Flynn. The latest on programs and policies, helpful hints, and a bit of occasional nonsense. All in more or less plain English. Podcast number 834 for the 2nd of June, 2023. This week, small specialized apps, generally known as utilities, can solve problems and add capabilities not provided by the operating system. We'll look at new functions in PowerToys utilities from Microsoft and from two individual developers. In short circuits, Adobe released Firefly a few weeks ago for people to try, and now the AI component has been added to the beta version of Photoshop, available to Creative Cloud subscribers. When testing files that might contain malware, maybe you'd like a second opinion. What about 14 opinions, and without having to install or pay for anything? And 20 years ago, only on the website, in 2003, Kodak saw a future that did not need film. And the company was attempting to rebrand itself as the picture company. Tiny apps that solve highly specific problems have always been my favorites. So let's look at some offerings from three sources this week. These small apps are generally known as utilities, but that name can apply to large applications such as the text editor Notepad++, FTP client FileZilla, Media Player VLC, and ebook organizer Calibra. These are all large applications, and some of them have multiple functions. Today, I'm concentrating on a few of NearSofer's dozens of NearSoft specialized apps, some of Nenrad Herg's Software OK utilities, and the latest additions to Microsoft's PowerToys. It may seem that Microsoft doesn't belong here, but the PowerToys utilities are developed independently and are available for download from GitHub as well as from the Microsoft Store. Nearsoft and Software OK apps are created by individual developers. Nearsofer, for example, has more than 200 utilities, and Nedrag Herg has published well over 100 utilities at Software OK. I can't describe all of these utilities or even name all of them, but it's easy to visit the sites and pick out the applications you want. For PowerToys, you'll simply download the full package, install it, and then activate the components that you want to use. There are links on the TechBiter Worldwide website to Nearsoft, Microsoft PowerToys, and Software OK. So first, Microsoft PowerToys. I've described this handy collection of utilities before, so check one of the earlier articles for information about the 17 functions that have been around for a while. Today, we'll look at just two of the most recent additions, Paste as Plain Text, and Registry Preview. Many applications that accept pasting text from the clipboard do include a mechanism for stripping out images, formatting, and other non-text components. The trouble is that the keystrokes used to accomplish this vary between programs. The PowerToys Paste as Plain Text function overrides them all with the Windows key plus Control-Alt-V. Okay, that's pretty hard to type. 
Fortunately, that key sequence can be changed because four key chords are difficult to type, and when Control-Alt-V is nearly impossible for my hand. In fact, I have to look at the keys and concentrate to do it all with my left hand. It's a little faster if I press Control-Win-Alt with the left hand and then sweep over with the right hand and get the V key. I tried changing the key sequence to Shift-Control-V, and Power Toys warned that this could interfere with key sequences by other applications. So far, it hasn't created any problems, and having just a single sequence to remember is a plus if you work with a bunch of different applications. The name of the Power Toys Registry preview might be a little bit misleading. It's not intended to examine the entire registry. In fact, it can't, even if you export the full registry to a file. At least, not yet. Maybe someday, but not now. The registry file will be huge. Exporting the registry on my primary computer creates a file that's nearly 500 megabytes. The registry preview utility is limited to loading files no larger than 10 megabytes. It's intended to allow users to examine a key, edit a key, or create a key to be added to the registry. So you need a file that contains a registry key. I started in the Mozilla key in the Computer HKEY Current Users Software section. Many people will probably find the registry preview layout easier to understand than looking at the registry directly. Making a change to the file being examined does require a text editor. The edit function from the utility will open Notepad by default, but the file could be opened in any other text editor, Notepad++, UltraEdit, UltraEdit Express, anything that'll edit a plain text file. After making the changes, the file must be imported into the registry. Unless you're fully familiar with the registry, a good motto here would be, look, but don't touch. I know I said we'd look at two of the new options, but there actually is a third one I'd like to mention here. It's not quite as new, but it's fairly recent. It's the Hosts File Editor. Windows includes a local hosts file that contains domain names and their matching IP addresses to identify hosts on IP networks. Network applications check the host file first before sending a query to the domain name server. The hosts file is often used to eliminate access to advertising sites and known bad actors by assigning the domain name either to localhost 127.0.0.1 or to an unspecified and unrootable address 0.0.0.0. All zeros is the better choice. If there's a domain you'd like to avoid, create a new entry and specify 0.0.0.0 as the address, then type the domain name to avoid, media.opencandy.com, for example, and add a note if you'd like. And what about that particular domain? Well, Wikipedia says this, OpenCandy is an adware module and a potentially unwanted program classified as malware by many antivirus vendors. It is designed to run during installation of other desired software. OpenCandy's various undesirable side effects include changing the user's homepage, desktop background, or search provider, and inserting unwanted toolbars, plugins, and extensions in the browser. It also collects and transmits various information about the user and their web page usage without notification or consent. That does sound like a pretty good component. 
to block. Well, enough for Microsoft's power toys. Let's move on to utilities from near Sofer. Since 2001, Sofer has been creating useful utilities for Windows. They range from password and system tools to utilities for browsers and networks. There are utilities designed for programmers and for regular users. Overall, there are more than 200 utilities, all provided without cost, and Sofer even refuses to request donations. Some utilities do trigger false positives from poorly written antivirus applications, and a few are actually blocked by Windows. Product key, for example, once could be used to obtain the Windows installation key. If downloaded now, it will be automatically deleted by Windows security. That's really not a significant problem for Windows users because the key will be displayed when the user opens a command line window and types a specific command. It's a long command. If you'd like to try it on your machine, it's on the TechBiter Worldwide website. USB Device View displays information about USB devices that are or were connected to your computer. My computer has 28 active USB devices and 9 that have been connected but currently are not. Double-click one of the devices for more information. Also, it's possible to specify commands that should be run when a USB device is attached or detached and to have the application create a log file showing when devices are connected or disconnected. Although there are other applications that show which programs are started with Windows, including one that's actually built into Windows, Nearsoft's What in Startup shows the startup type, command line string, product name, file version, company name, startup location in the registry file or file system, and even more than that. The startup type is helpful because there are several ways to start an application when Windows boots. Applications can be started by the registry as machine run, machine run once, user run, or user run once. There can also be references in the startup folder for the user or for all users. So if an application starts and you don't want it to, figuring out where to look for the launch command can be time consuming. To disable an unwanted application, choose Disable or Delete. Before deleting a startup application, disable it and then restart Windows. Run the machine for a while, maybe several days. If disabling the application creates no problems, you can simply leave it disabled or go back and delete it. The safer method, and the one I prefer, is simply to leave it disabled. That way you can enable it again if you change your mind later. The Bluetooth Viewer Utility watches for nearby Bluetooth devices. For each detected Bluetooth device, it shows the device name, the Bluetooth address, device type, first detection time, last detection time, and some other parameters. When run in the background, it can notify you when a new Bluetooth device is detected by displaying a balloon in the taskbar or by sounding a beep. The utility allows you to connect to a Bluetooth device for testing. It doesn't send any information to the device, but confirms the operation by connecting. Once the connection has been made, the Bluetooth device will ask if you want to accept data. That confirms that the connection is operational. Those are just a few of the Nearsoft utilities. Maybe some of these appeal to you. If not, there's probably something on his website that will. Visit the Nearsoft website, scroll through the list to see the full range of utilities. And moving on to Software OK. 
Nenrad Herg is the author of Cuter, which I have written about several times. I gave Cuter a try around 2006, and it immediately became my favorite file explorer. I've installed it on every computer I've owned since then. Moving files from one directory to another, or comparing directories, is clumsy with the Windows Explorer. That's because it shows only a single directory at a time. Microsoft has partially addressed that by adding tabs, but Cuter lets me explore up to four directories simultaneously, and defining favorites provides quick access to frequently used locations. Icons can move around when the user changes the screen's resolution, but they can also move around sometimes just because Windows is Windows. Desktop OK eliminates that problem by recording the location of icons on the desktop and putting them back in place each time Windows starts. The arrow clock places an analog clock on the desktop and can be set so that it's always visible or always on top. Because my system has three screens, I place a large version of the clock on the laptop screen. It can be made any size and the clock's color and transparency are adjustable. This is perfect for those of us who still prefer analog clocks. Several other test tools are included. Quick Memory Test OK can identify faulty memory if you believe that your computer has a problem that appears to be memory related, or if there aren't any problems with installed memory. Running the utility allows memory to be ruled out as a cause. And there's Font View OK. Most font viewers and managers can show only a single window of typefaces. Font View OK can show two panels to make comparing one typeface with another easier. You can view either the installed system typefaces or all typefaces that are on the computer but not installed. Visit the Software OK website. You'll find a link on the TechBiter Worldwide website and find out if there's another application there that you'd like to use. If you find these podcasts useful, and I hope you do, might you consider a donation? There are no ads here, and support from listeners is the sole source of income. It's easy. Just visit the website and click the Donate button near the top of any page. You can make a one-time donation or schedule a repeating donation every month. I thank you. And so does the cat. In short circuits, Adobe is moving so fast that it's nearly impossible to keep up. Firefly was released in beta just a few weeks ago, and the technology was released in a beta version of Photoshop just before the end of May. I had planned to talk about some of the many other advancements that have come to Adobe products this week, but I've postponed that because the addition of this specific Sensei technology is astoundingly great and terrifyingly worrisome. Generative fill is what Adobe calls it. Starting with a blank image, I typed, create a cat sitting on a chair beside a table with a lamp in an old-fashioned room. The first few images did a good job with the room and the lamp, but all of the cats had extraordinarily odd faces. One of the resulting images had no cat. Uh, well, maybe the cat was hiding under the chair. I did say, after all, this is beta software, right? Each iteration gives the user three images to choose from. 
when I had nine images, the best choice seemed to be one from the first set, and you'll see it on the TechBiter Worldwide website. To experiment with the new technology, you do need to be enrolled in one of Adobe's Creative Cloud programs that includes Photoshop. Downloading the beta version of Photoshop installs it in addition to the release version. At its most basic, Generative Fill translates words into images, or parts of images. Currently, this means still images, but Adobe says the technology already applies to, or will soon apply, to creating videos, documents, and digital experiences, as well as rich images and art. It also is useful in creating building blocks such as brushes, vectors, and textures that artists and designers can use to create other content. ChatGPT is trained on gigantic language datasets. Similarly, Firefly technology is trained on hundreds of millions of images. This allows it to learn patterns that can be used to create images that are based on what it has learned. That means that anything created by this technology is not copied from another image. It's a brand new image created from the whole cloth. Although the test in which I tried to create an image of a cat on a chair beside a table with a lamp in an old-fashioned room didn't result in usable art, the result was surprisingly good. The room was old-fashioned, there was a chair, and the room had one or more tables with lamps. Sometimes the geometry was off a bit, and the cat's heads were definitely odd. But most of what Firefly presented was right, or at least acceptable. Adobe describes Generative Fill as being most useful for four specific tasks. First, generate objects. Select an area in an image and describe what you'd like to add or replace through a text prompt. Second, generate backgrounds. Select the background behind a subject and generate a new scene by using the text prompt. Third, extend images. Extend the image canvas, then select the empty region. Use words to describe what you want in the new area or omit the prompt to simply create a harmonious extension. And fourth, to remove objects. Select an object you want to remove, then generate without a prompt to let generative AI technology simply make it disappear. One of my concerns is that AI will be used to create so-called photographs of events that never happened. What if I could make it appear that Joe Biden was a member of my younger daughter's wedding party? Well, I started with a photo of the groomsman, selected the space to the right of one of the groomsmen, and asked Photoshop to add Joe Biden right there. Well, none of the six images was Joe Biden. Several of them had significant problems. Many of the inserted characters had faces with very odd expressions. Check them out on the TechBiter Worldwide website. Attempts 2, 4, and 5 were women, hardly Joe Biden, and none were dressed in wedding attire. Attempts 1, 3, and 6 were all men, and all were wearing wedding attire. One arm of the women in attempts 2 and 4 were rendered abnormally. The man in attempt 2 and the woman in attempt 3 had exceptionally odd expressions, and the man in attempt 6 was holding hands with somebody who simply wasn't there. Then I tried something that seemed like it would be easier by asking for a cat to be placed behind the groomsman. That worked reasonably well. 
I specified an orange cat, and the first few attempts had the cat's back to the camera. When I told Firefly I wanted the cat to be turned the other way, the result was better, but I wasn't able to get the cat to look up at the subject in the photo. A few more iterations probably would have done it. Next, I started with an image of a meadow and asked for a meteor. The first few attempts had what appeared to be laser beams shooting out of the meteor toward the ground. Odd. Virtually all of the attempts were unusable, but eventually I got one that was more or less acceptable. The image also had two sections that showed roadway, and I asked Photoshop to remove the road. Those results were perfect. You'll see it on the TechBiter Worldwide website. The meteor definitely looks phony, and it appears to be taking off from the Earth instead of crash landing. But the two areas where the road has been removed were perfect. Then I wanted to try extending an image. I found a good prospect among some photos from Inniswood Metro Gardens in Westerville. My premise was that I wanted a wider image, and I wanted to eliminate dead leaves on the lower right section of the image. After extending the canvas to the left, I selected the blank area, and without giving Photoshop any instructions, I had it perform a fill operation. The result extended the flowers in a pretty convincing pattern. Next, it was time to get rid of the dead brown leaves on the right. After selecting an area that included the brown leaves, I told Photoshop to remove them. The resulting image is really pretty darn good. One of the suggestions had more flowers in the repaired area, but the image I selected I thought was more convincing. Adding additional iterations might have created an even better result, but the test had shown me just how well the process works, even though the technology is still quite new and officially still in beta. If you have questions about the ethics of making changes to photographs, you're not alone. Those who want to use photos to lie will have more options and will be able to perpetuate lies more easily. Removing a road? Well, if it's a photo you took while on vacation, I don't see any problem with that. After all, you'll remember the vista, not the road. If you're a real estate agent, removing the road would be questionable ethically. The technology is only going to get more powerful, and that's going to happen quickly. Use the technology honestly and with care, and when looking at a photograph, consider the source and the source's honesty. When somebody includes an attachment in an email, even somebody you know, it's wise to check the file out before opening it. Even if your computer has an anti-malware application installed, getting a second or third opinion is a good idea. But how do you do that? It is an exceptionally bad idea to install more than one anti-malware application, but the Jati malware scan shows files to 14 protective applications. You still have to decide what to do if 13 of the applications say the file is okay and one says it's not. In most cases, a lopsided score like that means that one vendor is simply reporting a false positive. When you have a file that you'd like to check, just visit the Jotty website and upload the file to it. You'll have the results in less than a minute. Then it's up to you to make the right decision. 
There's no malware in 20 years ago on the TechBiter Worldwide website. Looking back at 2003 this week, we'll consider the tight spot Kodak was in as photographers stopped using film. Thanks for listening to TechBiter Worldwide. I'm Bill Blinn. There's more on the website, techbiter.com, and if you have a question or a comment, use the contact link you'll find there. Stop by again next week for another session.